What's up, kids? Welcome to Poolside Chats with Dom and Chris, the show where we talk about everything from music production to the spiritual side of music creation. I am Chris. And I am Dom. And here we go. We are on the horizon of the new year. What do you? Uh, what is? What is your ambition in the in the music and creative world for the new year, Dom? I don't really have any ambitions because, honestly, more has happened than I thought would mm, already. Well so yes, I'm very happy, and my goal is just to not screw up what I have going on. <laughs> <laughs> it's a modest goal. I like that. That's 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 solid. Just Good stuff. To, not to reach for more than I can handle, but. Uh, yeah, make sure I'm handling what I got. Nice, nice. That sounds uh, like a great plan. Well, I, I feel obligated to say to uh, anybody who may or may not be listening to us out there that uh, we are doing a very cool giveaway right now uh, with meter plugs. If you guys don't know about meter plugs, Dom and I uh, have talked about them over time, and they have really great stuff for uh, metering for at uh, home mastering. And uh, the Dynameter plugin is a dynamics, a real-time dynamics meter, which kind of like how a loudness meter would work to show you guys um, your loudness levels. Dynameter works to show your dynamic content. So we are running a giveaway. Right now it's free. All you got to do to enter is go to the Continuum Music Studio website, click on the giveaways tab, enter your name, email address, like the Facebook page, and boom, you've got a shot to win. So I just wanted to uh, quickly plug the contest. We love giving people free stuff, especially during the holiday season. So yeah. So other than that, um, I think it's, uh, I wanted to chat with you, Dom, because I, you know, that we're, we're doing studio stuff today and I know you've gotten some cool hardware that you've had a chance to use over the last few months. Um, where are you finding a home for things now? Like, are, are you shifting gear around still to like different buses and different subgroups or do oh, you yeah. kind of have like go-tos now you're still, um, still I have go-tos for sound flavors but not for instruments if you know what I mean I do yeah because yes. it's it's one thing to know what you like um on certain instruments but it's another thing to know um when you actually like a certain flavor of a piece of hardware and then you know how that's going to react to basically whatever you put it through right so my main thing lately is um with this most recent client is just to basically experiment with everything on everything mm. and really and just see what works on what the best for me. But um, I'm finding that so many of these pieces are so nice on various things and it's all about what you're feeling at the time. Right. Right. And of course certain things are going to excel um, on certain instruments, but yeah, I just love trying different things. Like, especially when you try things, on instruments that you weren't expecting it to really sound good. Sometimes it's just a hits it out of the park. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a great, that's a great theory. I know in the plugin world, that's kind of how I view things too is, is tone and character and, and what it's doing to the sound in order to give me a desired um, harmonic result that I'm kind of looking at. You know, it's interesting. I was actually just watching some videos um, last night, not about music production. It was more, uh, in the spiritual domain, but they were actually talking about um, sacred geometry and how um, the entire fabric of the universe through sacred geometry actually maps out with perfect harmonic intervals. So I thought it was really interesting because um, 
the music scales, et cetera, you know, have the harmonic, the second and third harmonic orders, and those all follow different principles in the universe. So I think it's fascinating that when you can factor in the plug-in tone, like let's say, for instance, maybe like the saturation of an API on some drums, um, you're going to color those drums in a really unique way. So I think that for me, I'm going to start looking more into um, harmonics. I feel like that's an area of study that I've gravitated to in the last year, um, with plugins and with hardware to understand what it's doing, but really to kind of understand the science behind it, because I, f- I find it fascinating how harmonics and overtones actually work. That's what we shoot for. Indeed. And that's like what the holy grail of a lot of these analog pieces are. We're just after the way they add harmonics to the signal. Right. For the most part. I right. mean, even clean stuff still does it in its own way. Absolutely. Um, and it was interesting. I was... Uh, I'll actually um, talk about it later, but um, I uh, redid a, I ended up redoing um, my client's first track for him without, he already passed off on the, uh, on my original version, but I started listening to him, my car and a bunch of other places. And I thought it sounded horrible. I just, to me, it was like, I wouldn't want to listen to this song. Right. You know, it just wasn't vibing with me. Right. And so I spent like half the time I took on the original mix, did some other stuff. I still have some more work to do to it, but um, uh, long story short, I ended up playing it for him without him knowing that I actually redid it. Mm-hmm. And he was like bobbing his head and like rocking out to it way more than he did with the other mix. And I was like, yeah, I, f- I felt like the first mix wasn't vibing. Uh, and I just played it for him off a of whim and he was like super grateful that I redid it and because he was just like a really nice dude. He did like the other one, but after hearing this one, he heard uh, a lot more of his stuff, like his choices in there. Mm. And it was just going back to the roots of just less is more, especially is this like kind of this was like cleaner rock song. Okay. A lot yeah. of intricate stuff going on. Okay. I just basically crushed the other one too much. I, it was sounded pretty good. It was pretty rocking, but it was pretty flat too because mm-hmm. of it. And uh yeah, he was just really grateful. So there's a couple of lessons in there is you have to be honest with yourself. And I took the time to go back and redid a mix that I really wanted to do, but you don't always want to do. And um, the other thing is, though, that I used a lot more analog hardware on is this the coming back to what you're saying right. is about the harmonics and stuff. I actually heard the analog hardware. I comp- I like especially for his vocals. I took a lot more time on his vocals. Mm-hmm. I did a live feed where I was just working on vocals for like two hours straight, nice. just checking stuff nice. out. But um, in the end, it sounded like I processed his vocals less, even though I had uh, probably twice as many compressors on there and a lot more EQing. But I stuck to pure analog world, and I was like, you would think I would hear this more, but I started to realize that it's not only the nice saturation we get some of these analog pieces is that you almost can get away with doing more um, in that world. And that's just something I kind of realized later or recently. Yeah. It's funny because it's it's like a, a paradox because y- you wind up doing more but doing less. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's you funny. You hear it less. It's a lot more transparent to me. It is, but I think it's it's more pleasing too because yeah. like you could rack up a digital chain with 12 plugins to ach- achieve the result yeah. you get with two pieces of hardware. You know, but then the two pieces of hardware sound better and more well-rounded than the 12 plugins combined, which is really interesting. No, like I, I like the um, approach, which is interesting because... Um, I have to say, I can't think of a job I've ever had to where 
the client was happy with what I was doing, and I decided to go back and redo it. I just read them myself. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's what it was, you did is yeah. really great, and it's a great you know thing for your portfolio and experience wise. But what did you do? You know, because this is great because you, yeah. you knew you could have done better work. You went back and took the initiative to do the better work for free mm-hmm. off the books for you, for him simultaneously. So he obviously liked it. You were happier with it. What What do you say about like describe the two processes? What did you do the first time around that you weren't yeah, happy with? No, and and what did a, you do the second time? Cool. So <laughs> the track has flow. Like I said, I started with the vocals. Um, the first track, I didn't spend enough time on the vocals. He has two lead vocal tracks to Mm. where he's basically backing himself up the whole time right uh so the first time i just did some kind of silly effect stuff where it just really muddied up his vocals and you couldn't understand what he was saying and all of his his whole album's about storytelling Mm -hmm. and you even though he does he said he doesn't really like his voice so he made the two vocal tracks so it kind of gets a little bit less clear but then he also wants the voice super clear so it's almost a paradox right right right. and so i just didn't handle that the first time around as good as uh it should have been Mm -hmm. and i i just used i used the devil lock and i I still use it in my uh, second mix but not as much it's like way more tasteful right um with devil locks the sound toys plugin if you didn't know but um so anyways i just I just went at like all the compression and EQing very like very broad strokes, way too much of things at one time. Mm-hmm. Um, I just decided to start crushing things the first time around. I had the distressors going um, on the room. Like it's a very common thing to nuke the room mics of a of a drum kit with distressors. But for this track, it wasn't it was it wasn't meant to have that heavy rock track with all that ambience and right, stuff. So right. it just it wasn't feeling i mean it was a decent mix but and because we we actually went back and forth to him and i thought my mix sounded worse than it did but it didn't uh but it just the emotion of it just wasn't there and uh so the second time around i like i uh, said a couple of times i focused on the vocals a lot i cut them up i cut the second track up a lot so that um the second vocal lined up with the first. There's also a plugin out there called Vocal Line that I actually demoed and tried. Oh yeah, Vocal Line by uh, Synchro Arts. Yeah, yeah, and I actually plugin. tried it because I was like, this is a perfect opportunity to try it out. But it ended up causing too many problems for me with this specific vocal. What? It works really well in segments. If for some, if for, oh, you can't analyze like a three minute vocal line. I did, no, and it worked for like ninety percent of it. But then the ten percent that it didn't work, I'll, I don't want to go fix that. Yeah, and so I ended usually up usually it causes. Issues and plus, and stuff like if that. that's something that the arranger will um, needs to get better at too, because that's not entirely up to the mixer. That's right. all in editing stuff. Right, right, and right. And at this point in my life, I'm doing a lot of editing with the mixing, but in general, that should be charged separately. Right. <laughs> which is because it takes a long time, and that's it's really not creative at all. That's not using your creative prowess. It's, right. Yeah. Um, but then I, I've always liked the method of. He didn't. I know for a fact that he didn't use any compression or anything uh, on the way in, and so I like to do a thing where I spend the time and I call it my tracking phase, where I just route up almost all of my analog gear, and then I just start running all the important parts of a mix through this chain, and I just turn things on and off and see what I like for that, and just touch it lightly, Mm -hmm. and just get it kind of controlled and bright, and just how you would want something coming into sound. Mm -hmm. And then I do that, I actually print it down so I'm stuck with it, just like like I was tracking. 
And then once I go to mix after that, everything seems to fit so much better and everything's just so much more controlled. And then I don't want to do as big of strokes after that. So mm-hmm. I just took baby. I was just smarter about it. I didn't feel as rushed. Mm-hmm. And I just, I worked with EQ a lot more instead of compressing first. Cause you mm-hmm. always EQ your low end, make sure that's fitting right. Cause that was the main problem with the first mix too, is the EQ was uh, on the low end was not there. The, everything was clashing. I just, mm. I was just being a little stupid about it. So tell me about the elements that were in the song. Um, how many, how many tracks and what instruments? There's not many tracks, but give me a number. Um, there, it's uh, I think 15 tracks or something, but it has everything in it: bass, guitar. There's slide guitar in there. So vocals. Yeah, two vocals. Um, two main vocals. Two main vocals. Uh, two background vocals that play for a second okay. in the beginning. Okay. Um, bass. Mm-hmm main guitar just one um and then uh two slide guitar tracks mm-hmm. uh then you got your drum overheads and uh your drums there's no toms in it just a ride kick snare and hi-hat okay um but then the, so he's actually using addictive drums and so all of the drums are separate even the overhead ones the way mm-hmm. we had to bounce it down and so I have control over like the kick. This is rare because when you actually record overheads, everything's stuck the way you recorded right. it into a stereo track. Right. <laughs> These dogs are going crazy. They're crawling all over me. They're trying to and find their just, squeaky toy. That's what the squeaky toy yeah, is. They're not, stuff. they're not happy that we took the squeaky toy. Yeah. Oh, it's been discovered. You keep talking. I'm going to hide this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's interesting. It's my first time working with any drum drum uh programs before and uh he actually came over and we took the time to bounce down all the drums and what i ended up getting instead of just a room mic with everything in it and overhead a stereo pair with everything in it i actually had individual elements in each section so my room section actually has individual kick snare hi-hats uh or hi-hat ride and cymbals and all that and it's interesting being able to work with individual levels um, in the separate sections like that with the, the room and overhead. So basically, once I got a good level, then I just treated it like it was normal overhead mics and just kept everything the same and just mainly did bus work. But uh, yeah, so I guess the takeaway from this is like, do what if I'm finding more and more with clients is always underplay what you can do. And you'll find out that they'll generally be happy at a lower level than you thought that it would take to get them happy. And then once they're happy, if you know that you can do something else to make it even a little bit more polished, when they hear it again, they're only going to be that much happier. And it's like, I just kind of threw out all my tricks at once and I ended up overdoing it with the first mix. Interesting. Yeah. And it's just, it's just different ways of thinking. It was like, I basically went against all the ways I like to mix yeah. and it just wasn't me. Yeah. You know, I yeah. don't know what I was just like, Oh, this will be fun. Just crush some stuff. Just wanted to hear the gear more than I want to hear the music, right. which is not what you're supposed to do. No, it's all no, about the music. All. <laughs> it's, it's so weird. Cause like, it's really tricky when you have a full setup in front of you. Like 
you find like your best mixes, sometimes you end up using half of the gear you have just right. because you're being really tasteful with it. Right. That's just what I've found, especially with yeah, yeah, lately. And certain types of music, you know, makes for certain diff- or different types of processing. But absolutely. No, I think that, you know, with uh, even the last couple of mixes I did before we moved to the new facility, I was getting a lot of noise from my gear because I had literally just about every piece of gear running. But it's 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 about, you know, making like selections with it, like even in the plug in world, you know, it's like if you know an API EQ, like, for instance, that's one of my go to guitar EQs, like but I, I, I have like a vision for it. Like I wouldn't say, oh, there's a guitar in the mix. It needs the API EQ, you know, it's more like, okay, is this the track for that? Does the guitar, because the API has a very cutting, very aggressive, very pokey kind of sound to it. So it's like, do I want the guitars to cut like daggers through the mix? If not, I could use something else like maybe um, a Mog EQ that has very broad curves and I can use that in like the 2.5K range. And that's going to give me the same desired effect, but it's going to have a softer approach to guitars. So it's all about kind of understanding the tools in my opinion and seeing like what you need to do. Um, It's cool because as you were talking, I took some notes here um, of some fascinating things that I found about your workflow that I wanted to ask you questions about yeah. and talk about. Um, so this is the first thing is the, the vocals first mentality because this Just is with him. Yeah. Well, I asked because this is like a debate that I've read so much over the internet over the last few years of guys that say professionals, you know, the top end mixers, the CLAs or whatever, who say I either do the vocals first because that's the most important thing in the song or I get the music and the drums together and then I get the emotion of the song and make sure the vocals are playing into that. So you're telling me the first time around you started with the music and then tackled the vocals middle or last and this time you started with. So tell me about, about why you did that and if you feel like that's an approach that you're going to do in the future with tracks that are more vocal centric. Absolutely. I knew this time around because I knew what the problems were the first time uh, that I couldn't hear the vocals. They just weren't sitting well. That's just like the most common term you'll hear is my vocals aren't sitting or how do I get my vocals sitting well? Right. And so instead of trying to fit them into all these crushed drums and stuff, I took everything off, started with everything nice and open so nothing was just in your face yet and I made the vocals in your face. Mm. And the thing is, is like I mentioned that I'm using addictive drum stuff. Right. Or I'm not using it, but the guy did. Right. That they're already processed and I don't know the program enough to go through. And when I bounce them down to take off all the processing, but mm-hmm. they sound good. Like they're actually really good sounding. But, um, so I didn't feel like a lot of times you want to get your drums sounding good because right. they're so raw, but that's another reason why in this particular track and the rest of the stuff I'm going to do for him is I'm not going to start with the drums mm-hmm. because, but actually, to go back, the first thing I did, because that was the biggest problem I had with my first mix, is I got the low end feeling right. Mm, I just used some EQs, um, and I found out just to do a quick, quick, a quick plug to my favorite, the plugin, the um, VIP plugin for this mix was the Kush Audio Electra, mm. and I'm finding more and more that that's my go-to EQ. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I just mentioned the API EQ. Yeah. And the Kush Electra is a modeling of that, but they do um, a resonant filter on the low end, which is absolutely yeah. great. I wish the API had. It sounds amazing it's proportional. on kick. For getting your kick and right. bass sounding right. good together, you can just re- you can solo your kick and bass and just mess with that filter in the low, in the low end shelf because mm-hmm. that's going to be super musical. Um, they're both super musical, but I just find that those in e- one EQ, uh, electric EQ on the kick and bass working together just can make the low end fit together better than 
most things. I want to mention something because that's a good point. But I think the one thing I've found as an owner of both the the plugin mm-hmm. and the hardware is that um, the low end, it's definitely tonal. It definitely has a character. But what I've found is it it's a very round low end. It's it's yeah. it's almost it's strange because it's a clone of you know the API you know fifty five hundred or the five fifty B. But the low end is actually a shelf and um, it's got a round tone to it that's almost Pultec-y. So it's interesting because. Like for me, what I've found is I either do one of two things. One, I'll use that low end twice. So I'll find, let's say the kick, the resonant peak at maybe 95 hertz, something like that. Tailor that in because what it does at the resonant peak is it low cuts everything below that. So you're cutting out. It's really gradual though. It's 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 12 dB per octave. Or something, or yeah, or less. It's really gradual. I think it's 12. It it could be six. It probably is. But I think think it's 12. Um, And what it's cool is about that is then you're, you're filtering out 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, right? So it's like then if you got a subtract or something, you can use that same thing. But what I like about it is that like it can either make things two sources sound gelled together or it can make them sound muddy and that's the the crosshairs of that plugin See, yeah and I, I it's a slight bump like when i was using it i i just noticed like a little sweetness down there oh and it, it's, it gives it's that very yeah. it's just yeah i didn't notice it to be drastic like if you just boost the edge of it like if you're in fab filter mm-hmm. or something but um what i actually did is i used the fab filter plugin to get my marks and then I put the Electra on and just kind of found, cause in the Electra you don't have actual marks. Mm-hmm. And I just used the fab filter as my placeholder. And then what I did is I basically tried to emulate my fab filter stuff with the Electra, but then I was still using my ears more. And so I kind of checked myself by using my ears by using the Electra, which mm. doesn't have the frequency marks. And so it was a good way to make sure that I was using my ears more after the fact that I kind of found it with visually mm-hmm. and also using my ears. And then, I just love the effect of the Electra after it. Like it just definitely sounded better than just a generalized fab filter EQ. Right. No, the Electra is great. What I was saying with the, the either it can make it gelled or muddy. Yeah. This is like, it's almost like I look at this EQ almost as like I would look at a compressor for tone. And what I've found is that the low end has such a particular sound to it that let's say you, you're, you've you dialed in your kick tone. So Dom was just saying, and I love that, about the graphic EQ thing. That's the way I used to work for the longest time. Like, And funny, it's funny because when I got the Electra plugin and the hardware, I got it for that exact reason is you don't know where the frequencies are. You just turn the dial randomly and you're like, oh, okay, that sounds good. And it's like, I wanted to own that because I wanted to touch something that physically made me get away from numbers and the math yeah. and the strategy behind it and, and work more on a creative level with my ears. But I found that with Electra, this is a pro and a con. More of a pro, honestly, once you get to use the plug-in oh, more. Oh, yeah. What a huge pro, because uh, you don't need your eyes, really, at all. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. But that that's a pro, absolutely. What I was going to say the pro is, oh. is that um, let's say that the kick, okay, let's say that you wanted more of a, a sharpness, okay, so more of a peak in the kick drum, and let's say you wanted your bass to be smoother, and you wanted your bass to be more round. What I love about the Kush is that you can dial in that peak to be pokey, and you can dial in the bass to be more rounded. And that's how you would use the low band and the the mid band in conjunction with another and like overlap the harmonic frequencies. So it's like the muddiness can come in. Let's say that you pick 95 hertz on the kick and maybe let's say 120 hertz on the bass. You mean by pick 95, you mean on the high pass filter? Yeah, on the, well... Yeah, it's a high pass filter, but it's also like where you're adjusting. Like, yeah, it's because it's a combination. The bottom knob is a high pass filter and where you're setting the resonant peak for the lowest band. It's the same thing. 
It does the exact. It's, well, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, because the, the high pass, the resonant peak works at wherever you're cutting it off. It just has a little bump right, right. where it's cutting. Exactly. Yeah. And then the the knob above it's just a shelf, a hundred a hundred hertz shelf. I think it's three hundred, and I think it I, it does um, um, the I think the the attenuation and and uh, the boost on that is tw- I want to say it's twelve dB, maybe fifteen dB. Oh, but I mean, I'm, yeah, you can I'm pretty sure it go, it goes up to three hundred. Um, the bottom shelf does. So, um, what I was saying is that what I like about this plugin, and I, I haven't found this on any other plugin, which is why it's actually one of my favorite plugins to use in the box because it's it's dangerously close to the hardware for one, but the tone of it's great. So let's say, like I was saying, you want the kick and the bass to sound identical. You can do this with the Kush. Let's say you want your kick to be soft and you want your bass to be round. You can achieve that, but if you crank the cue on that, it's proportional on the two mid bands. The two mid bands yeah, are proportional. Yeah. So then what you can do is let's say you want the kick to be slightly punchy, but you still like that round texture to it. You can boost a heavy amount at let's say 330 hertz. And then all of a sudden now you're you're gelling the two together with the Kush transistors and the tone of the Kush audio plugin, but you're also able to give yourself a proportional spike on the kick drum. So now they sound like they're actually playing well together. It's, it's really fascinating. I haven't found another plugin that has that kind of versatility, but because the the plugin is so tonal and it's so smooth, I mean, it's, it's like butter. Like, I don't mean to like, you know, like rep the Kush right now really hard. Like that's not my intention. I just, I really love it. And I love the hardware. And because of the smoothness of it at a low proportional cue, it's very bell like, and it's, it's extremely soft and very glossy. And then at the higher proportional cue, it's got that API punch to it, which is great. So it's like, for me, with those attributes alone and having the feature of not being able to know what frequencies I'm looking at, I love it. And to top that off, the low end is a different kind of filter. It's a Butterworth filter, I believe. And the top end is a mastering grade high shelf. So out of four bands, you get a low cut filter at 12 dB per octave, I believe, that does up to 300 hertz. You get um, two proportional Q bands in the middle amps with overlapping frequencies, which is great. And you get a mastering high end, which is also very buttery. So it's just, it's really cool EQ. Um, but I wanted to ask you because now you're saying, I, I love what you said about using the graphic EQ in conjunction with it. I think it's a great, like anybody, I don't care what stage you're at mixing wise, it's always great to pull up a graphic, especially one with the fad filter where you can see the actual peaks just and grab an the peaks. on it, yeah. Totally. But being able to like really zone in and then drop a node at let's say 87 hertz and realizing, oh, I've got an unpleasant resonance there and dipping that out and knowing where you can go with the hardware or with a plugin like the Kush, that's, that's such a cool way of working. I'm glad you mentioned that. That's yeah. awesome. Um, and I... Like that's um, only if I'm really having trouble with something too, because mm-hmm. most of the times I'll just go straight in with the Electra. Uh, and you mentioned that you'll go away from API sometimes because it's too, you know, punchy. Because mm-hmm. and that really comes from it only being two dB increments too, because the Kush is extremely punchy, but it can go like 0.5 or one. So the with the way the proportional Q works is that at that point it's still a very uh, slope, um, very would it be low Q? It's not, it's very wide at that point. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, it allows you to use it. Like it's basically allowing you to use an API EQ, um, 
when you don't necessarily want all that punch too, just if you want to just boost a DB or something just to sweeten things up because it's not going to be as punchy at that point. Right. Uh, yeah. But I think like even because I've got the API 5500 and that yeah. gives me the option for quarter decibel, half decibel, one decibel or two decibels. Yeah. And e- even well, then... Well, then that's also... Cause that's also the B though, which is going to be well. Yeah, the, more well, punchy. the A is softer yeah. too. But it's like even compared to the, the A, compared to the Kush, the Kush is still not as punchy unless you crank the the proportional yeah. stuff. Because like the Kush, like I couldn't use a 550A in mastering. I couldn't use a 550B in mastering. I could I could use a 5500 absolutely for little little notches here and there. But the Kush, because it, it's I feel it's smoother than the API. It can achieve the punch. It is smoother. I, but the yeah. API is all about the punch you know that's what you're buying is the punch with the kush you have the option of getting both in the same box this is interesting so the low frequency shelf right is extremely gradual so it actually touches up to one to two kilohertz interesting like actually it's that starts so so, it's like a bax yeah no exactly yeah um oh it's a baxendall low end yeah it is that's what it is yeah no for sure i forgot about that's really good to know um and then uh the butterworth is on the top end it it maxes out it like really starts um boosting and cutting at 90 hertz so it is around like just below that there's the meat of it but Hmm. then it like is a really which is awesome because it is super smooth yeah very smooth and just a touch goes a long way yeah no that's one of those plugins where it's like if you you can abuse Use I just keep it coming so, back to it. So fast. There's very few plugins where I just it's keep coming plugin. back to it, it's and it re- I really feel like it's doing my mixes wonders, mm-hmm. and it, it's just very nice. No, they, I love they it did too. It well. Um, Anyways. All right. Yeah. No. So I've got I've got more questions for you. This is great. Um, where are we at time wise? Are we doing uh, good? We're doing good. Okay. We got, cool. We're like a little under thirty. Oh, we're we're great. You guys, we got plenty more action for you guys. All right. So you you mentioned use the devil lock. Um, and yeah. this, this is another one of my favorite plugins by Sound Toys. I think we've mentioned it. Too we have on our other ones. We have. And we, in fact, we told you guys if if you missed that episode, it's modeled after the Shure Level Lock compressor of the seventies. A really funky like three rack U unit, which just obliterates something at an extremely aggressive ratio and it just keeps the level very consistent and dirty. So this plugin does a great job. But I noticed something interesting. You said on the first mix you had it cranked. The second mix you turn it down. And while you were talking, what I wrote down was that I feel like what this plugin contributed to, even in Parallel, I believe it does have a mix knob or you can run it on an AUG or something like That's that. That's what I was doing, but so I could automate it better. That's what I figured. Yeah. Um, that is going to kill the intelligibility of a vocal because it's shaving off so many peaks and it's bricking it out and it's yeah. making it so RMS heavy. So I thought it was really cool that you adjusted that the second time around because that's the first thing I thought of when you said use that plugin because though it adds nice grit and saturation RMS, it also takes away the diction and a lot of the clarity in the mid-range of a vocal, like that 1 to 4K range. Yeah, I was in my first mix, I was just totally cheating myself because I have that overstayer saturator, which I love. And this time around, I used it on each of my uh, tracking pass-throughs. Mm. Mm. with uh the two vocals right and so the second vocal actually did it more um i just progressively kind of affected them more because i wanted my first vocal to be the intelligible one right. the other one to be it's still very intelligible just slightly less and more of the body and mm-hmm. both of them together adds like a perfect high frequency and like low mid frequency body and when i take either one out it just either sounds muddy or it sounds too thin which mm. is great right they just fit each other perfectly so i'm glad he had the two vocals yeah um but uh, then, with that being said, that I already had a bit of saturation and grit, like enough for me to be, think I had enough harmonics going on. Then I just was able to tuck the devil lock in. And even when I bypassed that, 
I still miss it, oh, but absolutely. I just don't need it in yeah. nearly as right. much. So I wasn't using that for all my character because we always search for character with our parts. Mm-hmm. It's just how you do it and how tasteful you are with it is really what defines you as a mixer. And uh, the devil lock, I was just using it for way too much of my character the first time around. And so yeah. I was able to get away with less because I took the time to use the tools that I already know and love right. more. And, right. Yeah. No, with the plugin, because I use the Sound Toys Decapitator. That's more yeah. of my go-to than the Devil Lock is. The Devil Lock is yeah. when I really want to add some grime to a signal, but I find that the Devil Lock, even at mixing about 15%, yeah. is more than enough. You know, And it's easy to it's go probably 40 where mine's at, or like 50. Like a 10, 12, or 15%. Yeah. I, I, I like to... I, I have a general rule of thumb in the back of my mind. I call it like the 15% rule, mm-hmm. and I feel with parallel chains and reverbs and stuff like that, anything over 15% can start to sound very tonal. Like you can pick it out in the mix. Like, oh, that's cool. He saturated the vocal. And it's like, if you're looking for a, hey, that's cool. He saturated the vocal mindset when somebody's listening, crank it. But if not, and you want to add some weight to it or thickness or edge or color, then I feel like you've got to be, and this is just experience as a mixer. Like it's, you, when you get a tone, you like, you want to just crank the knob. You're like, yeah. hell yeah, it sounds great. But pulling it back is, is usually where you want it to go. If you're not really trying to have that be a focal point when somebody's listening to the track. And that's a, with that being said too, it's really cool if you have one effect at more than 15% and that's it. Right. right. Everything else is right. like well below it. And so you're not knowing it really, but you're hearing everything else when then something's grabbing your attention. Mm-hmm. Like in a chorus, like mm-hmm. I, what I love is I still have that devil lock send where when it really gets going in the song, I just boost it up a dB or two, right. you know? And then it's just adding a little, cause, because it is compressing to crazy limiting as well as saturating with that plugin, then I can just add more energy in different parts without mm. having to raise up the vocal. Mm. And so it just gets a little bit grimier. Right. And then in the chorus, when I, it's something that if you listen to in choruses, things get really unintelligible mm-hmm. and really big with especially rock music. Mm-hmm. And you almost think it'd be the other way around where you're just boosting everything up, but no, everything kind of gets mushy mm-hmm. and it's, it's really hard to do, honestly, because yeah. you want everything to always stay clear, but then you have this nice verse going on and then everything just gets big and mushy. But, uh, it's really interesting because you've been working on the verse and trying to get it really intelligible and then you have to go against almost everything you were thinking to make it really gel for the chorus and just be this big moment. Mm. It's, it's an interesting thing to to work with. And yeah. It's just all about contrast and that's more than it maybe sounding, you know, like less intelligible, but our ears want to hear different things at different times. So. Sure. No, I'm a big fan of contrast. I know that we've talked about contrast yeah. multiple times over the last couple episodes since the beginning. No, that that's that's clutch. Um, so you mentioned that there's two things here that I found interesting, and I think you just kind of touched on one of them just through sharing that. Yeah, is you were saying that the emotion was lost in the mix, and I feel like that's that's the cardinal sin of like yeah. the mixing engineer is like getting so much into the mixing process and the tools that it's really easy. And I've been guilty of this myself, and I've had clients and artists that I've worked with say, "Hey, I feel like." like something's missing yeah. from the track, you know, and it's, that's what it is. It's really easy to get taken away from that. So what did you do to kind of realign yourself with that process? And then wh- <laughs> like, let's just pick, let's just pick your vocals for instance. All yeah. right. Cause like, like let, let, first, this is a two part question. So part one would be what internally, you know, interpersonally, when you were kind of going through your set of inquiry and asking yourself questions about the mix, like if it was your song and you were the artist and this was like your emotional story or whatever, what what did you do to, without being in the studio, to realign your perspective to tapping more into like the deeper meaning behind the music and remove yourself as an engineer? 
I honestly got my, I, I like to get people who have no technical background in music to listen to the stuff I do. And um, I actually, I'd never show them my music usually cause it's that I'm working on cause it's electronic music. And I'm by him. I mean, my dad, I usually don't show him what I'm working on cause he's so distant from that genre that right. anything he says really, but he likes listening to John Denver and like this lot of storytellers and stuff. So, um, this guy that I'm working with is a storyteller. Like when it comes down to it, he just kind of does a Rocky version of it. And so I, this time I actually got my dad in the studio and I was like, listen to this and just just listen to him um, after he's done listening to it to see what he had to say. And the main thing he had was like, what is he saying? And at that point I was like, I probably should mix this to where I know what the dude's saying, you know, cause it, it is really important cause it, the song isn't cool enough to just have the drums and bass and stuff, you know, to right. drive through. That was the main thing. And then me knowing that the low end just wasn't sitting right. Cause that's what everyone wants. I mean, rock, music doesn't have the tightest low end usually if you put a sub on rock music I, I was listening to rock in my brother's car he has a decent Audi with a pretty big sub in it and it just sounded muddy as crap <laughs> and so um it doesn't have to be perfect but it just wasn't there so mm. the low end and then the vocals and then I was like I just went too far with everything didn't focus on the important stuff Interesting. Um, but yeah, so the vocals are the main thing with it. And then so what, to answer your question, I got misaligned with what was important in the track. And I realized that by what my dad said and then just trying to hear it in my car and just like the vocals were just like thin compared to everything else. I focused too much on trying to, because it's fun to make drums big and fun to listen to, but it's just not always the right thing to do. Interesting. Yeah. So before we get into the part two, I just want to say that I like what you had to share. And I think what's cool about that is you said you were out of alignment with, you know, the essence of the song. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, we kind of started talking about like sacred geometry and stuff. And I feel like, you know, with creative applications, like being in the studio or whatever, it's like, you have to be aligned with something higher than yourself. You know, you have to yeah. be aligned with the soul. It's and all about essence. humility and self-awareness. And it is, it's yeah. Yep. There's this, we talked about street smarts the other day, but you have to, kind of read the room. People will tell you they like things all day when they really have problems with it. Well, yeah, because they don't, people don't know how to be honest and they don't want to, you know, hurt your feelings or step on toes. And a lot of people just don't have the communication skills to say, Hey, I don't like this, you know? And it's like, I, I've worked with artists now for a while and I can just tell when there's a hesitation mm -hmm. in an email or a text and I'm like, Hey, what are you not telling me? Yeah. What do you not like? And usually I have an idea, you know, I yeah. think good mixing engineers, they should go into a meeting with the artist, with the client, whoever, and, and say, okay, I know what this guy wants. I made these experimental choices. Like if he doesn't like them, I need to be like, Hey, I know you don't like the vocal. He's like, Oh, how did you know that? It's like, Oh, I just, I'm trying something just seeing if you like it, if you have an idea or whatever. But I think it's, it's more, you know, on top of the humility, it's just a level of awareness. You know, I think that when we get caught up in thought in the studio and we're thinking, okay, I need to run into this chain and I want these plugins yeah. going and I'm gonna go, you know, it's like we get really detached from like what music is really about, which is a story, which is the emotion, which is like the deeper essence of that. And I think it's cool that you were able to go back in and realign yourself through the perspective of other people and, and, and having communications with other humans, which is always yeah. a helpful thing. Um, but it's cool that you were able to like intrinsically within yourself, like realign yourself to the essence of the music 
and the message behind it. And it's not a surprise at all that the artist was so much happier about the second revision because you, you captured the emotion of the song and not the mix. Yeah. And he, I mean, he was super grateful because he had no idea I was going to do it. Right. And it's just those things where people love surprises, good surprises, right? And it just took a chance and he paid me the rest, like the half of the album up front after that. And he was like, nice. I like where this is going. Let's (laughs) let's do this. I mean, because he already paid me for the other track, but he just, yeah, I was just very grateful. And because honestly, what he heard was more of what he did. I worked right. half the amount of time. I already had some stuff set up, like my scent, like stuff, little stuff I did with the first mix took me a while. But um, yeah, I just he heard more of what he heard when he was creating the track, mm-hmm. and that's what people want. And it's even though you might think something sounds better, which in this case I didn't at the end. But um, yeah, if you just change too much, then they just stop hearing what they fell in love with when they created mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. it's easier on you too. If you think I don't have to do as much so I don't get away from their vision, then you actually end up doing less and you get paid more because you're doing less, not as much work um, for the amount of time, you know? So, mm-hmm. No, it's a, it's a dichotomy. Yeah. You know, I, I feel Just that- don't overthink it, I guess is a- Well, yeah, that's that, I believe that was the title of yeah. one of our podcasts. Yeah. Um, no, yes, I agree. But I think it's it's there's a fine line and I had to learn this and I'm still learning it and I don't think I'm ever going to not be learning it is, is the line you draw within yourself to say, okay, where does the creative process mm-hmm. of me as a mixing engineer stop and where does the vision of the artist begin? You know, mm-hmm. so it's like you initially start with the vision of the artist and then it gets into- well, I've got these tools and I've got these visions and I've got these moments of inspiration and I'm going to do this, this, and this. And it's like, for me, I've always had to ask myself, like, is this what they want or is this what I want? You know, because ultimately the gear, the monitors, the plugins, those are for me. I mean, no one's going to call me from a record label and say, hey, what did you use on your drum bus? Those guys don't care. You know, that's like really like, how can I make it sound as appealing as I can to me? And it's easy to lose sight of what the people that are paying for you want you to do or your friends or whoever it is that you're mixing, because it's like you're doing a service for them and you're enhancing their vision of creativity. And I know that I've been guilty of altering that vision of creativity and some Sometimes it works out really well. So I think the only reason I wanted to segue into that is like, regardless of what stage you're at as an audio engineer or music producer, you've got to define what kind of like mixer or engineer or producer you're going to be. You know, are you going to take those creative risks like you did on the first mix and say, hey, what do you think? And then are you able to go back and revisit or are you going to just stick with exactly what people want and not employ any creativity? Like, I feel like there should be a balance and that's why I like that you went back and redid it is you still were able to be creative and be you and imprint your sonic signature on it. But at the same time, you equally captured the vision that the artist was hoping for. And let me tell you why I love this dude too, is that when he gives me the tracks or I'm actually helping him bounce them down from PreSonus uh, Studio One, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. And uh, it's, he knows that he's not a mixer, um, which is amazing. And so he gives me everything in mono, no pans and no processing. So everything I do is a plus. Straight dry. So everything's dry, dry no reverb. So he has Love no, it. the only reference he has is everything mono and just dry. And so everything he hears is going to be more exciting for the most part, unless I do something drastic because he's hearing a mono dry track. So every reverb, it's all up to me. So that for this, especially for this first track, because I wanted to start the album off strong and have a good feel going into it. Mm -hmm. Because he said after I showed him the newest revision, 
I asked him like, just make sure you tell me if you have any, you know, cause I was like, I can see, I don't mind redoing stuff. Just telling him that I can, if we need sure. to, it doesn't take me that much time and I want you to be happy. Sure. And, uh, he said, well, I figured we could always just go back and touch it up or something at the end. Cause he added his, why he signed off the first one. He's like, oh, I know we can go back and do that. But I was like, no, I'd rather do it in time when I'm working on that track and not have to come back to it later. Cause right. I have my gear settings a certain way and I don't want to have to recall everything. And, but, um, yeah, I don't know where I started with that, but, uh, <laughs> doesn't matter. <Yeah. laughs> doesn't matter at all. Well, the, the part two of that question yeah. is, uh, it's like kind of a two part question. These questions are stacking up, but what, what was the chain? If you can remember that you used the first time around, um, yeah. for the vocal and then what was it the second time? Um, the vocal, the first time around, let's just start, let's just, well, both of them are going into a devil. I use the same devil lock setting for both. So, um, I don't remember what the setting is for that, but that's going into an aux, but that was for both of them. So let's just okay. get that over with. Okay. Um, so then for the vocal bus, let's go with that because both vocals right. are going into it. Right. I had, um, just an LA two way going into, I think I even chose an SSL bus comp, the, just this, the, uh, one from SSL, the, the Duende. Duende. Yeah. Um, and that was like barely being used just to catch. I had like pretty fast attack and stuff just to catch some peaks and you stuff. You got four to one ratio. But um, so there really wasn't much going on with that. But then I can't remember what I used on the individual ones at all. I just remember it wasn't that great. I, I definitely had some EQs on there or something. But then the second time around, I just was going through a bunch of stuff. Like I, the, uh, I think my chain started with, my Harrison, just for general EQing. The Great right? River Harrison yeah. EQ, yeah. And then um, went into the the Michelangelo, uh, the Hendy Amps Michelangelo EQ for just boosting, mm -hmm. you know, sweetening. Mm -hmm. um, then the EQ, then I went into the Stam Audio LA2A clone I have mm -hmm. after that. Mm -hmm. um, then the I'm not I use the both EQs, but I'm not necessarily using all the compressors from here on out because I just plugged everything in. Right. But the what I stuck with was the API 2500. The uh, what is that thing called? I always forget. Um, come back to it. But the LA2A and the um, the big old thing. How come I always forget the name of it? The it has the mastering compressor, but I have the smaller version. Shadow Hills. Shadow Hills. Yeah. yeah. And I know then, more about John's yeah. than he does. <laughs> I just, I don't know why I always forget that. But yeah, the Shadow Hills, uh, the 2500 and the... Um, so you're running like a $15,000 chain. Yeah, so I better like it more. Let's put it that way. But then this for the second one, um, I just went six to one with the Distressor. I still had an LA-2A on it, but then I completely changed it up. I didn't like the Distressor for my clean one. Um, I mean, I could have, but I just like the other ones more. Mm -hmm. But then I loved it on the my background vocal, putting up air quotes, mm -hmm. but the the secondary one that I wanted more body. Sure. And so I just kind of just dressed the crap out of it. Oh, and then I had it was going through the analog. Oh, saturator and the analog stage at the end mm. too. Mm. And so for the harmonics, and that's why I didn't feel like using the devil lock as much. But in the end, it all sounded cleaner than my original vocal because right. of how much I was using the devil lock because I right. wanted to make up for all the lack of body and stuff. So. Interesting. Yeah, it, it was seeing a bit of hardware at the end, and I took a long time to get my settings down and just a lot of A-being. And I tried using the hardware of the SSL. So that was just a bad choice to begin with. I just wasn't in the right state of mind, I guess, hmm. you know? Because it's not necessarily the best vocal comp. No. You know, it's it can work. No. I mean, it's a great, versatile compressor. It's really clean. But um, 
It's just a little too snappy. It just didn't like it's the movement snappy. on it. It wasn't. It's very snappy. His vocal didn't ask for it. No. And that's that goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation is understanding what the plugins and the hardware do and what the song is asking for. So it's like if the vocal was a very percussive vocal, then that SSL yeah. worked would have worked great, yeah. you know, because it works fantastic on drums. So for percussive vocals, I find it, it is wonderful. pretty percussive. But I think actually, it's like if something's not snappy, but you want it to be, because his vocal was already percussive, but then it just made it too percussive. In well, other yeah, words. Yeah, that, yeah, that's again, yeah, yeah. that's good to know. Yeah. So it's like, and that's and the cool thing about that is like with an API 2500, you know, it can get percussive, but it also can get very smooth. At the yeah, same I definitely time. had it on like soft knee because you can change the knee right. on it, which is crazy, which is crazy and cool. Yeah. And then I um, was able to take some of the high end out with the loud thing. And well, the SSL, yeah. you, can, you can change the knee too, but it's like built into the ratio. So as yeah, you adjust and, the ratio, the knee yeah, changes. That makes a sense. Bit. Yeah. Whatever it was. Just wasn't having it. I feel you. Yeah. Well, the only other question I was going to ask, um, I was actually going to talk a little bit about drums, and if we have time, we can touch on it. But the last question pertaining to the vocals was that um, you mentioned that you you started EQing before you were compressing, and the first time around, uh, you were doing some compressing before you were EQing. No, I I had like FabFilter up, but I wasn't using any hardware EQ. So I definitely the first things on my chain first time around were definitely just some FabFilter EQs. Cutting or boosting? Um, probably a little of both because I wasn't using hardware. I was just using one EQ. So I was just wasn't splitting up the task or anything. I was just using a, yeah. So so you, you mentioned though the second time around that you, you were doing more EQ before compression. Why did you say that? What was your, what was your methodology of changing and using more EQ before compression? Um, I don't know what I said before, but... Since I had all the all the hardware compressors going on after my two EQs, you can just get away with more, you know, because it just will com- clamp down on the frequencies you're boosting right. more, and right. uh, just kind of smears them, spreads them out. You know, you don't really hear it as much because uh, in there, I think my fastest compressor, I had the uh, Shadow Hills going in eight to one mode, like mm-hmm. just barely clamped, but anything that's super fast, it would just clamp down on it. Right, and uh, it's just I think the eight to one mode has like. 0.05 mil it's something super fast mm-hmm. and so that was like my squishy compressor mm-hmm. to where it just any peaks it just clamped down yeah. so that was to catch any crazy boosting of eq and just let me kind of do what i wanted with them mm, interesting so that makes sense yeah i really like it in that mode for yeah. that no i asked because i know in a early podcast we talked about um using compression for it's funny because I, I i remember this because you even said in the podcast you're like and I, oh i I know I said that I was like surprised that you could do that or something. I don't know because I, a lot of these things I've never thought about actually what I was doing, but then it was almost like a realization that I have been doing this. This is what it's the effect is more mm-hmm. than I, because a lot of these things I just don't think about the no, theory that's, behind that's great. it. You know, you don't, you don't have to like yeah. what, I, what I think is cool is again, like I know we talk about all the time, yeah. like the less thinking you can do yeah. in the studio, the better, obviously. So if you're not trying to say, well, Hey, I want to, you know, duck, I want to smooth out three K. So I'm going to push that really hard in the compressor. Like, yeah. I think it's actually better that you're just grabbing things and tweaking knobs. Yeah. But I think it's cool because 
even if you weren't cognitively aware of it the whole time, the fact that now you can sit down and like say that you grabbed that for that specific purpose, I think is cool because it shows the evolution. Because for me, like I went back and forth between do I EQ then compress? Do I compress then EQ? And they both have very different like strengths about them. Like compressing before an EQ is going to obviously bring up the mud, but it's going to kind of level out the signal a little bit. Whereas if you cut before a compressor, I'm able to then reduce what I don't want compressed, bring up what I do want around it. But then, you know, if I push into the compressor with an EQ, it's obviously going to compress that area more. So I just think it's cool just to like, I don't feel like anybody should go into the studio and like have a checklist. Like, okay, am I, am I boosting my EQ and my compressor yeah. on the vocal track? But I think just having an understanding of why you did that. And like, for me, I always like to look back on my mixes when they're done and, and see, okay, what did I like that I did in that, that I want to try to replicate again? Maybe it's a plug-in chain. Maybe it's a theory. Maybe it's, um, you know, some kind of routing that I did or a combination of multiple things to where I want to see, okay, is that like a, a lucky strike? You know, did I just hit it rich on that one vocal or can this chain or this piece of hardware, this theory be applied to another vocal and get a similar result? And for me, I found that that's like what's generated my style as like a unique mixer is like knowing that nine times out of 10, this trick, like one of my big things when I first got some of the waves plugins was using the, um, the, uh, the R base on vocals. And what it did is it gave me, cause a lot of people use the R Vox on vocals, the Renaissance Vox, because it has multiple different things that you got the EQ that's Pultec style. You've got the compressor, but the R, vo- the R base would g- fill out that low area without really filling out the lows. So like when I got a thin vocal, that was that. And I would pair it with like the, uh, the Neve style EQ, the V3 or the V4. And I'd be able to cut out and then dip out. And for me, that was my chain for like a year just because it worked on two mixes, two remix concepts yeah. I did. And I'm just like, hey, I'm going to use this all the time until I find something better. So I think it's cool that now that you're, you know, you're, you were probably always doing that. I'm sure you were. But the fact now that your level of awareness is heightened, I feel like for mixing, that's like such an important thing is to like increase your awareness of where your creative mind goes without thinking, you know, to say, okay, I'm going to do this, this, and this. You don't need to know why you do it, but you have a really clear vision of like the sound you're going to get. And then you're making more decisive decisions. And I just think that's really important. Yeah. And what you mentioned with the R R base, um, it's really important to say that that was one way of fixing a problem with multiple solutions. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like low air. There's a bunch of other Ton ways of to add. Yeah. Um, Even the devil lock. Cause no, that, exactly. that'll add a weight to the yeah, low you can end put dark, And you could like darken it Absolutely. up, add it, you know, Absolutely. add whatever in. But yeah. um, it's as a mixer, it's really important to know where your problems lie at first, more than knowing how to initially solve them. Cause you can have a bunch of plugins and know what they do, but not know when to implement them. And that's really, that's like really hard thing to learn. Um, at first mm-hmm. it's cause it's really easy to get yourself a lot of tools, but then I don't use a lot of tools still because I just don't know when to implement them in right. a very pleasing way. And that just comes from experimentation. Right. And so, uh, yeah, like for me, knowing that like if a vocal's too thin, you start with the problem and then you start searching through your tools and then trying to fix it. And, uh, as a mixer, that's people get used to um, the tools that they um, can fix things with a lot. You know, mm-hmm. they just they find what works best for them in certain situations, and that's the gear and the plugins they end up sticking with. I agree. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I just I wanted to. Uh, there's a quote that I really like, and there's there's a bunch of them on the topic, but I'm I'm a big proponent of that 
answers are, are useless. Like this is for me and yeah. like when in my spiritual practice and in my life, really, I feel like answers are a bottomless pit that just lead to more questions. Like, and it's like, or the need, I wouldn't say more questions, but the need for more answers. So it's like, if something happens in your life or on a mix and you need to get answers, you're only in it. Like, it's like, it's like a black hole of needing more, needing more, needing more to where um, there's a lot of quotes out there, but one is by Voltaire. And he says, judge a man by his questions rather than by his answers. And I yeah. just like, I, just, I really like the concept because it's like anybody can give you an answer, mm-hmm. you know, but the, the thing is, is that it's like it, the quality of the question is the most important thing. So when you leave the room of the studio or you're coming home from, you know, an experience you had that wasn't very positive and you ask yourself really deep, really insightful questions, I feel that even though you'll come to answers, what you'll gain from asking yourself those questions of depth and of like authenticity are going to provide exponential growth in every area of your life. And I found that in the creative realms as well, you know, asking the right questions really does lead to amazing things. So yeah, well, that was, I wanted to talk a little bit about drums. We can say that for another topic. Yeah, because I, I honestly, I have to work on the drums more. So oh, cool. the first time around, I just crushed I did a parallel. With don't the, don't even tell me. Don't even oh, tell okay. me. Okay. Just just but, wait. Just oh, wait. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. No. That that's good. Cause not... like, well, because we had. I I didn't expect this to be such a vocal centric topic, but I like that we've covered so many different spectrums as far as how to approach vocals in different ways, and I think that's that's beautiful. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Let's quit while we're ahead. Yeah, we got a quite a bit of time on there too. So. I had a feeling. We All right, did. guys. Peace. Later, guys. <laughs>